Just a quick note. Um, as we mentioned Sunday, Daniel got saved this last weekend. Uh, at the same time, I don't know if this was all explained, but at the same time we were able to, or the same day, we were able to get in contact with the police and get Daniel into the um, shelter downtown. So he has a, an immediate play, place to stay, to stay indoors, to stay uh, warm. He has a bed. Um, ultimately, we've got some other options we're looking into more long-term, maybe get him into a nursing home or something. But while he's in that shelter downtown, as we were dropping him off, um, well, I guess another neat story I'll start with. Uh, Kevin and I were dropping him off, and he had been kicked out of the shelter before because of behavior, and so he had to sign a waiver about his words and his actions, and and while he was signing that, I was having a stern talk with him. Daniel, you understand you know, what's expected of you. You understand the rules you have to follow. And if you break these rules, there's nowhere else for you to go. We, we can't do anything else. Yeah, this, is, this is it. And he goes, he goes, I can do it this time because I'm a Christian now. <laughs> That's right, Daniel. You can do it. The Lord will work in you. So. Um, but then one of the things he was very concerned with, he said, can I, can I still come to church? Uh, and so all of that to say, if you are interested in maybe if we got a group of people who could take turns going down there on Sunday and picking him up and taking him back, um, I know it's a long drive, it's downtown, um, but if we could get several people who are willing to do that and then you'd only have to do it maybe once a month, uh, we could split it up. Um, I think it would still be good for him to be coming to church here, give us a chance to uh, now work with him now that he is a believer, a brother in Christ, to disciple him some more. Uh, so if you're willing to do that, maybe at, after the service we'll meet up here um, and just kind of start getting that kind of organized and put together. Um, so just a note as we get started this evening. Let's read Psalm 80 and then we'll pray. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who dwell between the cherubim, shine forth. Before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh, stir up your strength and come and save us. Restore us, O God. Cause your face to shine, and we shall be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry against the prayer of your people? You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in great measure. You have made us a strife to our neighbors and our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts. Cause your face to shine, and we shall be saved. You have brought a vine out of Egypt. You have cast out the nations and planted it. You prepared room for it and caused it to take deep root, and it filled the land. The hills were covered with its shadow, the mighty cedars with its bows. She sent out her bows to the sea and her branches to the river. Why have you broken down her hedges? so that all who pass by may pluck her fruit. The boar out of the woods uproots it, and the wild beast of the field devours it. Return, we beseech you, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see and visit this vine and the vineyard which your right hand has planted and the branch that you made strong for yourself. It is burned with fire, it is cut down. They perish at the rebuke of your countenance. Let your hand be upon the man of your right hand, upon the son of man whom you made strong for yourself. And we will not turn back from you. Revive us and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Cause your face to shine 
and we shall be saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, even as we look at this psalm this evening, we add our hearts and our voices to the cry of the psalmist in recognition that you are our only hope, that there is salvation in none other. Heavenly Father, we pray that even as we look at this psalm, as your people cry out to you, and yet even as they cry, they have hope because they serve a faithful God. As we look back all these years back at that, may we be reminded of you, our faithful God. And we see that you are still God, that you are still faithful. Your promises still stand. And may we be encouraged. May you be honored in all that is said and done. In Jesus' name, amen. As we come to Psalm 80, we're in the midst of several psalms that are very heavy. All of these psalms are crying to the Lord for for deliverance. For help, God's people are overwhelmed. <clears throat> the specific context of here, uh, here of Psalm 80, it seems to be written in the wake of the northern tribes being carried away into captivity. So we're about a century and a half earlier from where we've been in the past Psalms. And here we see this reaction of the southern tribes of Judah as they see their northern brothers carried off into captivity. Even though there's that rivalry there, they're not rejoicing. They're not thrilled. They're almost in shock here at what has happened. They're overcome. How, how, can, this, how can this be? Even though, even though we didn't necessarily get along with them, even though we didn't agree with them, even though we've had this conflict, and still we recognize that they are God's people and we are God's people. Still, we recognize that they are our brother. We kind of understand that relationship, do you not? If you've got siblings of your own, right? You're allowed to pick on them, but no one else can. If someone else picks on them, then you have a problem. This psalm is written in the direct wake of, of the northern tribes being carried off into captivity. And Judah now sits alone and vulnerable, and they are left wondering what is going on. How can this be? I, I know that we haven't been obedient. I, I know that, that, that we haven't been walking with the Lord as we should, especially the northern tribes. They've been way out there. But still, they're God's people. But what does this mean for God's promises? What does this mean for all that God has said? They find themselves here in shock, overcome. The psalm is broken into three sections, and really what breaks it up is these three choruses you see in verse 3 and verse 7. And then in verse 19, and you'll notice throughout the psalm that the chorus kind of grows. There's just a small change in the first line. In verse 3, restore us, O God. In verse 7, restore us, O God of hosts. In verse 19, restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Besides that, it's the, it's the same cry all the way through, the same chorus. There's just that change throughout. And, and I think that uh, what you see there is the people growing in confidence in their God. You know, we tend to grow in confidence when we go to prayer, do we not? You can be worried, you can be overcome, and you sit down and you actually take the time to pray. You actually take the time to pour out your heart to God. You come to church and you sit and you sing with your brothers and sisters in Christ and you proclaim those truths and you grow in confidence through it. 
you grow in faith. I think that's uh, kind of what we see here in Psalm 80. But it starts out with this cry in the first several verses for the Lord to hear. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel. It's interesting that Psalm 79 ends, verse 13, so we, your people, the sheep of your pastures, will give you thanks forever. We will show forth your praise to all generations. So at the end of Psalm 79, you have this picture of we are the sheep of your pastures. Now you come into Psalm 80, and the psalmist starts with the cry, give ear, O shepherd. We are your sheep. Now listen, O shepherd. Hear us. You who lead Joseph like a flock, you who dwell between the cherubim, shine forth. Between the cherubim, it's a, a reference to the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat there between uh, the cherubim. You've, you've seen pictures of the Ark, uh, or drawings, I guess, of the Ark, um, where you've got those cherubim where their wings touch, and in the middle, that, that is the mercy seat. That is where God dwelt. You who dwell between the cherubim, shine forth. You who are our God. You who are our hope. You with whom we've made these covenants. Shine forth. It's a cry for the Lord to to be seen, to be known, to be heard. Hear us, God, and then let us hear you. Let us see you. The picture that that these words form is the idea of the the sun bursting forth from behind some clouds. All day long, it's been cloudy. It's been rainy. It's been dreary. It kind of affects your mood. You You kind of have a slower day. But when the the, the clouds part and the sun bursts forth, it lifts your spirit. It's exciting. It's in essence what he's crying for here. Hear us, God, and then act. Shine forth. Like the sun bursting from behind a cloud. Stir up your strength and come and save us. Come to the defense of your people. What is going on? We need to see you. Hear our cries, God. Let us see that you have not forgotten us. Are we all alone here? When you come to that first chorus, restore us, O God. Restore us. I think there's a a recognition here that that they have sinned. The punishment of the northern tribes has opened their eyes to the reality that, man, this, this is serious. This is a big deal. We have fallen far. Restore us, God. It's a recognition of their need and their dependence on God. Cause your face to shine. We've talked uh, throughout the Psalms how in different Psalms we have that, that language of turn your face to us or don't turn your face away from us. The idea of turning your face away is to, to in, in essence, is to turn your back, to leave, to forget us. The idea of cause your face to shine is to turn towards us with favor. It recalls Back to number 6, 25, Aaron's blessing on the people. Cause your face to shine upon us. It's interesting, the, the, the language you have here, restore us, and then cause your face to shine on us. Really, you have kind of 
two things going on at once, and it's God doing both. Restore us, so turn us back to you, and then, Lord, you turn back to us. Turn us back, restore us, and then let us see your face. And we shall be saved. We shall be saved. It's a settled confidence. We know that this will happen. They recognize how dependent they are on the Lord. This is not something they can do in their own strength. It's not something they can do themselves. Notice they don't say, wow, we have really messed up. We will get to work on cleaning up. We'll tear down the altars. We'll do all these things. It's not about what they will do. You restore us, God. You do a work in us. We cannot do this ourselves. Cause your face to shine. Go on to verse 4. O Lord God of hosts. That's a phrase that we know from the Psalms. When we went through Malachi, it's a phrase that came up several times. Lord um, God of hosts. God, it, it, it references God's power. He, is, he leads an army. God of hosts, God who leads many. Specifically in reference to, to a military, this isn't just who, people who follow. The idea is, is people who, who follow and fight. You are the God of hosts. You lead these multitudes. And this is where it gets really scary. Lord God of hosts, you, you are the most powerful. You lead the most powerful army. You, you are so powerful. And yet, you are angry with us. It is not a good thing to have the Lord God of hosts angry with you. Well, Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry against the prayer of your people? Against the prayer of your people. It's not just against their works, it's against their prayer. It's against even the, the righteous deeds that they try to do, because even their righteous deeds are as filthy rags. Even their prayers anger the Lord. Could be because they're hypocritical. Could be because they're just babbling words. They're not focused, they're not purposeful. But how long will you be angry? That, that's the cry of lament. We've noticed that throughout the Psalms. That, that phrase, how long, is the cry of lament. How long? It's a recognition of total dependence on God. It's a recognition that this is according to God's will, God's timing, and God's sustaining grace. So how long must we do this? How long will we be here? What are you doing, Lord? How long? Notice verse 5 and 6. This is the Lord's doing. They recognize this. You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in great measure. You have made us a strife to our neighbors and our enemies laugh among themselves. This is not an accident. God is doing this. They recognize here that this is, is purposeful. God is not reactionary. God doesn't react. God accomplishes for his purpose. God is not reacting to their situation. 
God has set up this situation for his purpose. And they recognize that here. You have done this. You have done this. This is your doing. We need you. Restore us. Cause your face to shine. In fact, that's where they go on now. Back to the chorus. Restore us. And he goes back to that phrase that he went to in verse 4. O Lord God, O God of hosts. You, God of hosts, the one who is angry with us, is the same God of hosts that will restore us. The same God that they have offended, the one who is at present their enemy, that they have separated themselves, the one who is angry with them, is the same God who is their only hope. He is the God who will save them. Restore us, O God of hosts. That is a, that's a remarkable thing to pause and to think about. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry? And then just three verses later, restore us, God of hosts. That same God. Cause your face to shine. Turn us to you and then turn back to us and we shall be saved. This is our hope. Our hope is not to go down south and to uh, align ourselves with Egypt so that we can have some um, allies to protect ourselves. That's not our hope. You are our hope, God. The way out of this, the way forward... The way of salvation is not in our strength or our cunning. It is in you, God. So turn us back to you and cause your face to shine on us. The first several verses, verses 1 to 2, hear us. Verse 4 to 6, really more focused on deliver us. As you come to verses 8, to 18. You could almost say, remember us. Because as you work your way through here, notice that once again, as they've done the last several passages, last several Psalms, they go back to the Exodus, to Egypt. Remember your people, God. Remember what you have done. They use here in this passage a vine that represents Israel. In fact, many people, in fact, I, I referenced this when we were going through John, when you came to the passage where Jesus says, I am the true vine. It at least references or looks back to this point, along with several others where, where Israel is, all, is referenced as a vine, as God's vine, and yet as God's vine, Israel always fails. They always fall short. They never produce. But there is a true vine who does produce. And that's what you see in John. But back to this passage where that kind of reference there. But you have brought a vine out of Egypt. Your people, Israel, God's people. You've brought them out of Egypt, Exodus. You have cast out the nations and planted it. He took this vine from Egypt. He led it through the wilderness. He cast out the nations before it. He led them across uh, the Jordan River. And he planted it in his land. The conquest. You prepared room for it. You, you caused it to take deep root. And it filled the land. This vine prospered. The hills were covered with its shadow. And the mighty cedars with its bows. 
She sent out her bows to the sea and her branches to the river. This vine that God planted was prospering. But why have you broken down her hedges? So that all who pass by the way pluck her fruit. The boar out of the woods uproots it, and the wild beasts of the field devour it. This vine that was prospering, that was planted by God in his land, is no longer prospering. It has failed to produce. The fact they see the very fruit of it, of this failure, as carrying the picture of a vine, half this vine is carried off now into exile. In essence, in the picture, there's just a little stub left. What has happened? We were so protected. We were God, where God wanted us. Return, we beseech you, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see and visit this vine. Do not forget your people. Do not forget the vineyard which your right hand has planted, the branch which you made strong for yourself. Again, a reference there to their total dependence on God. God did not choose them. God did not lead them out of Egypt. God did not plant them in the promised land because of them. It's because of him. It's because of who he is. The branch that you made strong for yourself. You have done this and you've done this for yourself. And yet this vine is burned with fire. It is cut down. They perish at the rebuke of your countenance. Let your hand be upon the men of your right hand, upon the Son of Man whom you made strong for yourself. Some people here in that reference to Son of Man see a reference uh, to the Messiah, to Jesus. We've re- we re- actually referenced uh, that, kind of had that conversation on Sunday in Hebrews 2. And how in Hebrews 2, at that point, uh, in those verses we were looking at, it was referencing not Jesus, but just mankind in general. I think the context of this verse makes it clear that this is not a reference to the Messiah. This is just, it's a reference to to Israel. That's the, the whole context of this psalm. Upon the man of your right hand, upon the son of man whom you made strong for yourself. I think if there is a reference to Jesus here, and and there there probably is somewhat of a reference here, but it's more tied to the fact, as we talked about in John, that he is the true vine, that he is that one. But here the reference is just generally to Israel, the son of man whom you made strong for yourself. Again, referencing back to verse 15. We are your people. You have made us strong. You have planted us here. So let your hand be upon us and we will not turn back from you. Revive us and we will call upon your name. God, bring us back. Do your work among us. Turn and cause your face to shine upon you and we will serve you. Revive us and we will call upon your name. We have failed. We recognize that that our failure, the reason that this has happened, is not because you have lost control. It's 
because we have not called upon your name. It's because we have turned away from you. If, if it's possible in verse 18 that we will turn back, then it's, that means that they've turned away. This is on us. This is not your failure, God. We have turned away from you. We need to be revived. We need to call upon your name. And yet we know that you are the answer. We know that you are our hope. And so there you return once again in verse 19 to that chorus. Restore us. And once again, it grows. Restore us. Verse 3, O God. Verse 7, restore us, O God of hosts. Verse 19, restore us, O Lord God of hosts. His vision of the greatness of God is growing through this psalm as his confidence grows as he cries out to his God. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Cause your face to shine. Turn back to us with favor and we shall be saved. Our one and our only hope is you. Hear our Christ. Do not forget your people. And that's where the psalm ends. With that refrain once again, Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Cause your face to shine and we shall be saved. And we know the story, do we not? We know that the Lord God is faithful to his people. We know that he keeps his promises to them. We know that going forward, this little remnant, Judah, is carried off into exile. And yet the Lord does not forget them. And they are brought back. And we know that one day all the promises that God has made to Israel will be fulfilled. That they will be restored that his face will shine upon them and they will be saved. And so we rejoice in that. So Psalm 80 draws our minds to a faithful God despite his unfaithful people. God is simply faithful. And that's good news for us. Just as that was good news for his people Israel um, back in this time. God is still faithful.